been a couple of weeks, but we're going to be back in Luke today. So you can turn your Bibles and get all prepared. We're going to be in Luke 6 again. Today we're uh, picking back up on the sermon series that I began a few weeks back. I began walking through Jesus' Sermon on the Plain, understanding what life in the kingdom looks like. I spent the first week talking about blessings and woes, how we see this great reversal taking place in the kingdom, different than the culture that we have here on earth. The poor, the lonely, the outcast, the destitute, they are to be elevated and cared for, while those that are rich and haughty are to be leery of what is coming for them. I then turned to talk more about what people do when people hate them. What happens with our enemies? How are we to treat them? How are we to treat those who hurt us deeply? I asked what it might look like for you to listen to the Father and act upon his request on how to treat people that you dislike differently. To whom might the Father be asking you to show mercy and forgiveness? Who might you need to show compassion to? We then took two weeks off, both for uh, various reasons. We were leading into and preparing for these 40 days of Lent, um, as well as just beginning the first week of Lent. Lent, as many of you know, is the time period leading up to Easter. It continues to be a very reflective time, a time of pruning, a time of preparing. How might we be more like Christ in this time? How might we have the vision of Christ? How might we walk this road to Calvary, recognizing that it isn't just what Christ did, but that we too are called to walk this walk, to lay down our pride, lay down all that we think is more important and trade it for the kingdom life, to carry the cross, to carry the burden of living in the kingdom. So today we continue our series from Luke. We're in part three of four. We continue to see what Jesus describes as life in the kingdom. Life that is countercultural to that which we experience every day. And we see that if we desire to be one with Christ, belonging to the Father, that we must look in the mirror. We must make that daily decision to make changes, to make choices, and live differently from that of our culture. Today, we talk more about judgment and how we are to choose mercy and forgiveness over this judgment. We are to choose not to condemn because Jesus did not condemn. We are to not think of ourselves better than others. Rather, we should always be willing to look in the mirror and be willing to self-critique ourselves. Stand with me as a respect to the reading of the gospel. Again, we are in Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 37, and we're going to read to verse 42. Luke 6, 37 to 42. Do not judge, and you too will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? 
The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. This is the word of the Lord. And we, as the people of God, say thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So we receive yet another command from Jesus in this section. Do not judge. Do not condemn. Instead, forgive. We are also reminded that whatever we give will be given back to us, multiplied back to us. We receive fourfold what has been passed out. You've probably heard about the golden rule. Scripture here speaks of it first before we ever knew it in school. We are to do unto others as we would have done to us. Do you want people to forgive you? Do you want people to be nice to you? You are to forgive first. Do you want people to show grace and mercy to you? You should offer that to them first. Jesus goes on to say, a disciple is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully qualified will be like the teacher. This speaks of always recognizing our place. We are not above the master. We are in relation to the great teacher, Jesus, and his father, God. When we look at a mentor relationship, one is the mentor and one is the mentee. There's an apprentice learning from the master. While this is true, Jesus is very careful to say that in the kingdom life, life of the kingdom, you can never be above the great teacher. Disciples, they must be better qualified than those they seek to lead, but a disciple can never be greater than the teacher. The appropriate goal is to strive to be like the teacher. And you are only like the great teacher when you walk in step with the spirit. It is only when you continually look at the master for direction that you may make kind corrections instead of damaging condemnation. It is only when you are continually in step with the spirit that you can then make kind corrections instead of damaging condemnation. The parables that follows in the rest of this sermon and later on in the gospel that Jesus shares, they help to define and describe what these commands are detailing. We see Jesus describes a blind person leading another blind person. He also uses a description of a man with a big giant log in his eye trying to then look carefully to take out this little speck of sawdust from someone else. These parables, they help to put into perspective what Jesus means by being careful about how we lead, careful about how we teach, careful about how we instruct and guide others. We must first seek to have the eyes of the Father before we are to try to have the eyes for someone else. We must first acknowledge our own flaws before we can then seek to correct the flaws of someone else. You know, so often in scripture, God makes these comical remarks, and I think we miss it quite often. We read the scripture, we try and get out what we need to, but we miss the comedic effect here. 
like the parable of the blind leading the blind. Of course they're going to fall into a ditch because they don't know where they're going. The comedic piece of having someone have a big giant log in their eye. Is it even possible to have it fit into your eye? I think of Pinocchio, too, with the big giant nose. How far would that log stick out of someone's eye? There's clearly no way that they're going to be able to look and take something out of somebody else's eye. We cannot lead. We cannot lead someone if we are not sure of where we're going ourselves. We cannot point out a flaw in someone if we do not first take off the blinders and the blockages that we have in our own eyes. We must always, always be willing to be self-critics before we are critics of others. We must first humble ourselves and realize that we are not always everything that we think that we are. You're not all that in a bag of chips. We must first seek humility in what we know and what we understand. A great example of this humility can be seen in Acts chapter eight, when the Ethiopian eunuch recognizes that he can only know what he knows unless someone is willing to explain it to him, unless someone is willing to guide him. He cannot teach others unless he is first taught. You know, being a, a eunuch, a eunuch is someone who serves in the royalty. They serve those that are in charge. But specifically, being a eunuch, they had to be castrated so that there would be no reason to have a little sum-sum on the side. They did this to make sure that everything was kosher, right? But being that, he then is not offered the privilege of entering the temple, of entering into the synagogue, and being a part of the Jewish community. So while others enter into the synagogue and learn all that there is to learn about following the law, he doesn't have that privilege. So when he speaks and says, how am I supposed to know unless someone teaches me? It's because he doesn't have that opportunity. He doesn't have the opportunity to be taught. And he recognizes in his humility, I am who I am. I was created and I was put in this place and given that, I must humble myself and recognize I must be taught a little different. I may have this specific place in royalty where I am being a servant to those, and that is a lot of honor. But with that, he must then humble himself and recognize he can't take part in the Jewish community the way that he wants to, and therefore must seek help. He may lead somewhere, but then need to be led somewhere else. Now Jesus, he's very strong in what he says about teachers. Verse 40, Jesus says, only those who are fully trained may be like their teacher. One must recognize that they cannot lead without being trained first. Someone we need, something that we need to keep in mind here is that this is a teaching community. Apprenticeship was everything. It was important in all aspects of the society a teacher imparting knowledge to the one learning in the trade coming up behind them, a rabbi teaching the students the ways of the scripture, or teacher of any kind, they're all highly thought of. Therefore, as Jesus speaks about teachers and masters, you must know that this warning here is of utmost significance to the community. It is of utmost significance to our Christian teaching and the responsibility of those that we teach. Jesus takes it very very seriously. 
It's a matter of great deal of who a disciple's teacher is. In the culture, modeling behavior, especially by the teacher, was a primary responsibility. You can't just speak, you have to show. Behavior is important, equally as important as the law and the knowledge of the scriptures. We cannot simply talk the talk unless we are willing to walk the walk too. This is why wisdom and knowledge is so tightly interwoven to character and behavior in the life of the kingdom. Again, wisdom and knowledge has to go hand in hand with behavior and character in the life of the kingdom. Jesus continually pairs desired actions with the command for his disciples. Command, love your enemies. Behavior, turn the other cheek and give your coat and your shirt. Command, do not judge. Behavior, fix your own problem before you fix someone else's problem, as described with the log and the speck. We must be very careful to not critique someone else for what they have done wrong, claiming that we know the law without also being willing to humble ourselves and see our own behavior flaws. We must always recognize where we stand in the hierarchy of the kingdom. In order to be a teacher, one must first be a disciple, a follower, a learner, to be like the original great teacher. The teacher is the merciful father as of verse 36 whom the disciples are called to imitate so that they can be, in turn, teachers and not be like the blind leading the blind. True judgment begins with looking at the mirror first. We must remember that our words towards others, they only matter and they only take root if we are right with the Father first. Self-critique and self-assessment is equally, if not more, important When we teach, when we guide, when we critique, we must always be in tune with the Spirit, not solely for our own benefit of making the others feel lesser than. You know, so often in the church, I think we can be really judgmental. And I know that's strong for me to say, but I think if we're all honest with ourselves, people can be really judgmental. So often we get so enthusiastic about following all the rules for being a Christian that we begin to notice that others, they're not following all the rules. And whether we mean it or not, we feel responsible. It is my job to enforce the rules, to enforce the standards, and yet we forget our place. It is the Spirit's job to begin the work in someone's heart first. It is not my job to point out and say, They're wearing sneakers, they should be wearing heels. It is not my job to be pointing out what people wear. It is the Spirit's job to lead them and guide them and show them what might be appropriate. It is not my job to go ahead and tell people what they should or should not say. It is the Spirit's job to lead them and show them what may be appropriate to say or not say. It is not my job to go ahead and tell someone how they must act in public. It is the Spirit's job to show them how they should do this. Some of our efforts are supposed, they are supported by this sense of justice, right? It is just and it is right that evil is to be condemned. But the problem becomes that we demand this justice through condemning others, through condemning people, condemning brothers and sisters in Christ, 
We take the judgment and the desire for justice into our own hands instead of being led by the Spirit to justice as the Father would see justice fit. This is exactly what Jesus attacks here when he says, do not judge, do not condemn. He attacks this deep-seated tendency of persons to minimize their own faults and maximize the faults of others. Some of you may question this by saying, but isn't it our job as Christians to offer the truth, to offer what is right, moral judgment? Sure, to some extent. Because you might say, how can we not make any judgments? What sort of person would we be if we make no moral judgments in life? We are constantly faced with the need to make discriminating moral choices, to kill or not to kill, steal not steal, to lie or not to lie, to obey or not to obey. We must make these decisions daily, learning to judge between right and wrong, developing in this acute sense of righteousness and justice, while also being able to spot hypocrisy, moral compromises, and oppression. It reflects this heightened spiritual awareness. This is what we're supposed to do but it comes down to a very particular kind of judgment here. The judgment in view being the problem that is the inclination to condemn others for their faults and their failures. Condemning the other for their faults and their failures compared to living a life recognizing what is moral and right with the spirit and myself. Unfortunately, Thinking that we're simply making moral judgments can quickly turn into an issue of moral superiority. Thinking of ourselves better than someone else, and in doing so, we begin to not only set ourselves on a pedestal, but we can also begin pointing the finger at others. We get caught in the comparison game, and it snuffs out the ability to participate in the life of the kingdom. We begin comparing and judging others so that they don't have a place in the kingdom. We say things like, well, I certainly am a much better teacher than they are, so I'm gonna always be the one that's teaching. I can organize the office much better than they can, so this needs to be my job. I deserve this job. I can pitch the sale way better than they can. I deserve this sale. We judge others and we put others down for what we think we can do better and what we deserve. We also play this other comparison game where we don't step up to offer help in the life of the community because we think that others are better than us. I don't preach like he does. I can never make any kind of impact. I can't sing like she does. There's no way they'll find me with a microphone in my hand. I can't possibly bake as well as she does. I am not signing up for that. Disciples, they do not grow better by, com by comparing themselves to someone else. Some of us have gotten so sharp with what we, how we can put someone else down. We have become so quick with our tongue. In some ways, we are black belts in the innuendo and faint praise towards others. Not a speck in our brother's eyes are going to escape our notice. It's only then, when we get past this comparison game and the belittling of others and ourselves, that we can live into this kingdom, serving the kingdom as it is here on earth. Moral decisions and judgments 
They can only be made and said aloud as we are walking in step with the Spirit, seeking what is best for the entire community, not just myself. We are not the ultimate judge, but rather Christ is. And in the kingdom, all are welcome. All matter. All have a place. We must start by seeking restoration in ourselves first. Beginning from that kind of discernment, one may then end to opt to extend mercy, to offer forgiveness rather than any judgment at all. Do you remember that passage found in John 8? When the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they brought this woman caught in adultery to Jesus. They wanted to stone this woman for what she had done. What was Jesus' response to them? Let anyone who is without sin be the first to throw the stone at her. You can only condemn this woman if there is absolutely no faults to be found in yourself. You can only judge someone if there is nothing to judge yourself about. What happened to the leaders that day after Jesus said that? They walked away. They walked away because they realized that they were not as perfect as they thought they once were. It is only when we humble ourselves that we can then be more gracious to others. It is only when we are willing to look at ourselves and look at our own faults in the mirror that we are then able to look at another with mercy and grace and forgiveness. If you have no fault, then go ahead. Be the first one to cast the stone. We must recognize that love and forgiveness are the basic markers of the life in which the kingdom of God that we are looking at. Love that seeks seeks reconciliation forms the very foundation upon which life in the kingdom of God is built. Diedrich Bonhoeffer says, when God was merciful, when he revealed Jesus Christ to us as our brother, when he won our hearts by his love, this was the beginning of our instruction in divine love. When God was merciful to us, we learned to be merciful with our brothers and sisters. When we received forgiveness instead of judgment, we too were ready to forgive our brothers and sisters. What God did to us, we then owed to others. It is from that which we have been given, we are able to give. We're to see others through the eyes of Christ. If God is defined by love and mercy, and if the common life of the church is similarly defined, so also should the church's leadership. The question is, are there ways in which we need to be better at looking in the mirror first? Ways that we can be better at seeking to hear from the Spirit first? Are we allowing a focus on the fault of the other to stand in the way and to blind us? Are we forgetting to realize that God is the judge of both of us and not just the other person? A focus on the minor faults of others will blind us to the fact that we ourselves also have some major faults. In addition to self-righteousness, the major fault is apt to be the failure to love and the failure to show mercy. Perhaps, perhaps at times, we are too apt to fall into the mindset that almost instinctively, it condemns to hell people that are of different faith traditions, different political views, different social classes, different genders. 
This may even be an internal thought, whether instinctive or not, something that is acted upon or not. It may just kind of be floating within us. The refusal, though, to do any cooperative serving with those people, to participate in life with those people, to have any love or care or respect for those people, does not allow us to participate in the life of the kingdom. We are not to isolate ourselves, for it is by doing so that we harm the believers in the community. A few weeks ago, I had the privilege to meet with other pastors in the Manchester area. There are pastors from a number of other denominations. They gather monthly and they have breakfast, they talk, and most importantly, they pray together. For a few hours on a Thursday morning, once a month, the lines of denominations and churches, they're erased. We come together for a common goal. No judgment for being a part of this denomination or that denomination. No judgment for being a part of this thing or that thing, for meeting in some specific church model or not. All of our contexts are so very different. And yet we come together for a very common goal. We come together to pray for each other's struggles, to lift up the church global, to lift up you, the people of God, to lift up one another. Celebrate Recovery meets here on Thursday evenings and focuses on healing from whatever binds you from the freedom in Christ. It is no judgment zone, and because of that, healing and freedom can take place. It does take place. It is when we put down the weapons of words and judgment that we are then able to live as the body of Christ and ones who belong to the kingdom. Again, it is when we put down the weapons of words and judgment that we are then able to fully live as the body of Christ, the ones who belong to the kingdom. Life in the kingdom, it doesn't hold grudges. It doesn't label anyone with a scarlet letter. Instead, it kindly, mercifully offers guidance to rejoin the community, to be re-knitted to the fellowship after sinning. Life in the kingdom, it recognizes that we all have sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. It recognizes that we all have blinders that need help every once in a while to be taken off. It recognizes that because we have been given much, we are then to give much to others. In a world and a culture that so often says an eye for an eye, we are called by Christ to live differently. We are called to live above the judgment and condemnation. We are called to be guided by the Spirit. We are called to lay down our swords, to lay down our pride, to lay down our crowns. We are called to humble ourselves before the great teacher, being willing to be guided by the Spirit. And then, and only then, are we able to guide, teach, and shape those who are around us. As we close today, the worship team is gonna come back up and sing a closing song for us. And I ask, may it be your prayer, may it be my prayer to the Father today to open up our eyes, to make it clear, and to see removing the planks that may be in our eyes today. For as we walk through Lent, leading to the cross of Calvary, 
we too are tempted to go our own way because it's easier. But what joy we receive when we allow the Spirit to guide us. Allow the Spirit to be the one that helps you hold back condemnation and instead reach for forgiveness, reach for mercy, and reach for love. Father God, open our eyes today. May we lay down our crowns, lay down our pride, and seek you, the Holy One. Amen. Stand and sing with me, please. We fall down, we lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus. The greatness of mercy and love at the feet of Jesus. didn't show up in any of your mirrors it was just there and as you're ready to change lanes you you hear a horn and your heart races because there was something in your blind spot that you didn't see and you know it's possible for those logs in our eyes to be in our blind spot and we don't know that we've injured someone else and we don't know that our words have hurt. 
and we don't know for certain what we've done. And that's why we have periods of time like Lent, where we can say, search me, O God, know my heart, see if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in your righteous paths. Because it's possible for us to be thinking that we're presenting a moral example and to have a log in the blind spot that everybody around us can see and we can't. And that's why we must have the work of the Holy Spirit in us. That's why we must be open to Him to hear all that He has to say for us. We're going to sing that chorus one more time and then Pastor Julie's going to pray for us and offer benediction. But I would invite you to begin even now to say to the Spirit, Spirit, if there is some offensive way in me, search me, know me, teach me that I can be your follower, your servant in these days. We fall down. We lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus, the greatness of mercy and love at the feet of Jesus, and we God, may we be in tune with you today. May we hear that, that voice from you. May we feel that gentle nudge of the Spirit. May we begin to see those blind spots that maybe we didn't notice before. And may we be directed to change, to offer apologies, to ask for forgiveness, and to offer mercy. Father God, we are your people, and we seek to be more like you, the great teacher. Amen. Help us to do so. Touch our hearts, even now. Begin molding and shaping us to be more like you, even as we leave this place. May we not rush out of here, but may we pause just be present. Hear this benediction this morning. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together, together, you may with one voice glorify God the Father Amen. of our Lord Jesus Christ. Go in his peace and in his presence today. Amen. You are dismissed. Amen.